The Tom Woods Show, episode 1287. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, November is Black Friday season at Indochino. And starting this week, my listeners can avail themselves of Black Friday pricing on a made-to-measure suit. When you use promo code WOODS at checkout, get up to 70% off. That's Indochino.com, promo code WOODS. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here, joined today by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider. Mance is now going by his real name. He had been using that pseudonym for a while, but he's now going under the name Pete Raymond. So here he is announcing that name here on The Tom Woods Show, and I'm very glad to talk to him. He is the host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, which you can find at freemanbeyondthewall.com. And his latest book is going to be the subject of our conversation today. It's called The Kids Are Not All Right, a meme-enhanced primer on encroaching Marxism in the West. Pete, welcome. Thank you for having me, Tom. I feel so weird calling you Pete. It's not right. It's not right. I mean, after a while of calling somebody something, you kind of look like that name to me. You don't look like a Pete. What is this? You've actually called me Mance to my face, so it's yeah, pretty funny. that's right. I mean, like, even though I know it's, you know, it, where the name comes from, I still, oh, I also, I wanted to show you that respect and that if you want to be pseudonymous and, you know, keep your identity a secret, I am absolutely fine with that. So yeah, I've called you Mance. That's right. Now, what am I supposed to do? This, yeah, it's, I, it would be like if I suddenly said, you know, you got to call me Earl. It would just seem weird, right? Yeah, pseudonyms are so terrible. I mean, so terrible that Benjamin Franklin used one. <laughs> so, all right, poor Richard, explain to me what the whole uh, story here is. Well, I mean, it's really gotten to the point where um, I want to do this just for other people. People have asked for my presence. I've been invited to the Mises Institute, and they've protected my identity. A week and a half ago, I was at Ron Paul's house, Um in Texas, and they actually protected, you know, they were calling me Mance and everything, and then the conference the next day, and I'm going to be speaking at Liberty Forum in New Hampshire in February, and basically, you know, it's just time. I especially don't want these great organizations and these great people who've asked me to come and spend time with them, you know, have to answer questions about, you know, why is this guy using a fictional character's name, everything like that. And probably the, the topper was uh, spending time with Scott Horton and his family and his whole family calling me Pete and his wife going, I am just not going to call you that other name. It would be like calling you Luke Skywalker. And that is not going to happen. Oh, so, <laughs> OK, you know, so, yeah, basically, I just, you know, I go to Mises and they're protecting my. I don't want people to have to protect my identity anymore. So, um, you know, it's time. And really, the New Hampshire thing, speaking, you know, they're advertising me on their website, all this stuff. And I don't want them to have to answer questions about, isn't that guy named after a character in Game of Thrones? Is that really his name? Right. Let's just put Let's just put my name up there. And, uh, you know, let's worry about the content of what I'm putting out there and not have to, and also not be a, an excuse for, all the haters that come after me online when they can't defeat any of my arguments, they just, you know, throw this out there. So, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Okay, well, I guess uh, I'm glad to have you on the show as Pete at this point. And um, 
I would also point out that that Liberty Forum event in New Hampshire is just a great event. You're just going to have such a great time there. I met some really good people I had heard of and never met before there, and I just thoroughly enjoyed myself. This was, I don't remember how many years ago, quite a while, but a lot of fun. So I'm glad they are having you. All right. Right now, we want to talk about your book. This is your second book. It's a meme book like the first one. And it's The Kids Are Not All Right, uh, a meme-enhanced primer on encroaching Marxism in the West. All right, now it has your old-timey name on it, so I'm looking forward to your first Pete Raymond book to come out. But anyway, you've got really good chapter titles that make you just want to sink your teeth right into this baby. But this is fun to read because we all love good memes, and then to get your commentary on them is just icing on the cake. I want to jump ahead to one that I just like. I just like the one that's on, in my notes here, it says it's on page 20. So I'm zipping through to page 20, and I see this. Yeah, because I used this graphic myself for an email. This is a page from a text that's used, I guess, at BYU, Brigham Young University. It's a text that some professor uses, and it begins, why we need government. Does this ring a bell? Do you have it in front of you? I have it in front of me. Okay, I could easily steal all your thunder and smash this, but then what would be the fun of that? I want you to do it, so go ahead. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever read. It when is, I, re- yeah. I, I didn't think it was real. But yeah, I thought it was a parody. I'm like, oh, some, okay, someone did a really good job with this one. This is like, um, someone should be writing for The Onion. But, I mean, it's they basically make the argument, I mean, the main argument that I took out of it is they're making this argument that the things that happened in Nazi Germany Cambodia, Bosnia, Rwanda, and the Middle East. It's so convoluted what they're saying. Yeah. That it's, even after I've written about it, they're basically saying if there wasn't a government, all these horrible things would happen. Right. Like Nazi Germany and Rwanda and Cambodia and things that are happening in the Middle East. And it's hard for me to believe that there is not one student in Brigham Young that would have raised their hand and said, you do realize all of those atrocities were committed by the government. Yeah, by pretty darn strong governments. And they have it, it's written at like a third grade level. So this is an actual sentence from it. Yet we are more stable in our country, more stable than Cambodia, Bosnia, Rwanda, and the Middle East. We are more stable in our country because if something, imagine as a college student you're reading this, because if something like this ever starts, the government stops it and has enough power to do something about it. And by the way, you have to read it like that because that's certainly how it reads to me, like a really slow person talking to you. <laughs> I mean, it's just terrible. So then if the, let's read the, do you want to share, share the first paragraph with us? I thought that was also a fun one. Oh, the first paragraph. Uh, think of what you really want out of life. Do you want to live a... Uh, what, what? Yeah, you, you've, I, your markings have have obscured yeah, I, those I, words. What does it say? Do you do you want to live a? I don't know, maybe a long life, something long, like that. Yeah, something long like life. that. Do you want to be healthy, have a home and family, go snowboarding every day, do nothing at all except eat sugared cereals and play video games, learn everything there is to know about history, become rich and famous, become president of the United States. None of these things would be possible without government. What? The, I mean, that's just propaganda. That's what a cult would say. 
But it's the, here's the thing. Here's my problem with it. How is this in a college text? Yeah. I, I could know. understand if they were trying to sneak this into sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Even earlier than that. Even yeah. second grade. Go snowboarding every day. And then I like how without the government, you would never be able to be president of the United States. All right, I'll grant you. They got yeah. me there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no argument there. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I mean, nuts. But I remember your I remember your email about this. And uh, it was like, I mean, I think we both probably got turned on to this right at the same time, because that's when I started taking notes on it. I saw your email and I was like, yeah, this is so ridiculous. And I think everybody's going to be talking about it. It was a gift. It was a (laughs) gift to me because I was out of ideas that day that came across my desk. And I thought divine intervention because there wasn't going to be an email today if it hadn't been for this. There's so many fun memes in here. You do have one where maybe you're giving, well, let me say this, let me say this. You know, I can't stand the SJWs, but there is a meme in here where you you make a distinction between social justice warriors and social activists. Now, I still feel like most social activists make me crazy, but the fact is, I mean, it's a fact, and I want to be honest and, and treat people as fairly as I can. I think about, for example, Bob Murphy. Now, I don't know if you know this, but after, I forget how many years ago it was that there was a really, really devastating earthquake in uh, Haiti. And Bob went down there. Bob physically went down there and spent some time in Haiti and with his own physical hands helped to rebuild. Most people do not know Bob. Did, did, you, know, did you know Bob did this? No, I never knew that. That's yeah, really, that, that's see, wonderful. I, see, yeah. the thing is, if I did this, no one would ever hear the end of it. The whole world would know. You know, I'd be talking about it constantly, patting myself on the back. With Bob, you have to basically drag it out of him. But anyway, what he told me was, I'm sure that a lot of the people he worked with were politically left, and I can predict how they're going to vote. But the fact was, they were tireless workers, tireless, doing backbreaking labor for basically pretty much no remuneration, day in and day out, backbreaking labor to help these people. And at some level, you just got to respect that. Even if their their voting patterns are terrible, there's something about them that's real, that's genuine. And in this book, what I think you're kind of implicitly driving at that, because you use one of the, you use a meme where you contrast a social activist of the sort I just mentioned with a social justice warrior. Do you remember the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It says, uh, okay, here's the difference between social activists and social justice warriors. A social activist will say, oh, look, there's no wheelchair ramps in that building. Let's build a ramp. The social justice warrior, let's persecute the people using the stairs and make them feel bad for having legs. Well, I mean, that is what they do. And just a little bit from my experience, you know, I've traveled halfway around the world to build buildings as well. And the people I was with when we were doing it were, it was mostly Christians. It was with a, it was with a missionary group, but there were some that were radically right wing. There were some that were really left wing and there were some that were just completely apolitical, but they all, no one was making, no one went to the richest person in the town and yeah, we were building orphanages and no one went to the richest person in the town and tried to guilt them into building this orphanage, because I mean, who, who the hell knows if they knew that this actually needed to be done? You just, you do it. You know, if you see a need, if somebody sees a need, you just go and do it. You know, and this all goes back to political action too. It's these people who they don't want to get out there and work with their hands. So 
They want the government to steal from people so that whatever organization they think is worthy can go and do it. And you give them the stolen money and go do it. And it means more when it comes from somebody's heart. And, you know, these orphanages I was talking about, they're still being run. And this is 15 years later. And they're being run by the the children of the people who built this. And that's what, you know, if you want to talk about a social activist or, I mean, I've had somebody on my show, Professor Alex Vitale, who calls himself a social justice activist. But his social justice is going around the world and trying to call attention to brutal police states, including the one in this country. So I understand the difference of what somebody who called themselves a social justice activist was 50 years ago, the classic anti-war people, if you contrast them with uh some of the people who were, you know, call themselves anti-war today, but they just really do it for political, you know, they're acting out for political gain. I think there's a great distinction. I mean, I've met so many people from both sides of the aisle who really know how to get out there and work and do this without being told, without asking for money to do it, taking the money out of your own pocket and doing it. I mean, that's what we did. I want to skip way ahead because there's another one that kind of stood out to me. And I realize some people will say, oh, this is nitpicking. Considering the scope of these tragedies, it seems silly even to nitpick. But the meme I have in mind is on page 94. It's a tweet from Bernie Sanders. And I cite it just because it's an example of how sloppy the left is on statistics. You just basically can't trust anything they say. If it could be rape statistics, could be female earnings, there they're just going to be just outright dishonest. It could be the number of homeless. The number of homeless was just invented. Some guy just made that number up. Some guy said there are 3 million homeless and everybody just repeated it. There's no basis for that number. A guy made that up and he said later, Mitch Snyder, he said, yeah, I just made up the number 3 million. I don't know how many homeless people there are. And it doesn't matter. If it fits with their agenda, they'll just keep repeating it. So this is the Bernie Sanders school shootings tweet. Now, again, I don't want to steal your thunder, even though I would love to smash this one. But can you explain what this one's about? Well, the first thing I'll say is that when this was screenshot, it had over 48,000 likes and had been retweeted 22,000 times. And Sanders, his people, put this out. I do not think that Bernie Sanders is putting out his own tweets. I think that's actually been verified. It says, maybe, just maybe, after 18 school shootings in America in just 43 days of 2018, the Congress might want to consider common sense gun safety legislation and save innocent lives. Now, when I first saw this, I'm pretty good at math. And immediately in my head, I'm like, huh, let me see. 43 days, 18 school shootings. So we've had one school shooting every 2.2, 2.3 days. Why haven't I heard about, why isn't this on the front page of you know, Yahoo, MSN, whoever? Why isn't this on the front page? Why isn't this leading every newscast on TV? And then when you go and you investigate what all these school, sh- these 18 school shootings were, you have something where like a student fired a gun into, a, a student pressed a trigger on a school safety officer's gun and there was no injuries. And there was one where somebody who worked at the school killed himself in their car in the parking lot. And he's calling all of these school shootings. And recently I saw a tweet and I shared it 
where somebody had claimed that this year alone, since January 1st, there has been 307 school shootings. This was something that just came out in the last week. And no one, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, some of us who can actually think and process and do a little bit of math immediately jumped and were like, are you insane to put numbers out like this? But look at this. At the time, 22,000 people retweeted this. Yeah, and, and, and it, I, it obviously defies everyday experience. You have to know this is not true. You have to know that. I want to hear you take it apart. Well, I'm just going to use the information you give me in this uh, right here in the meme because you give the example of the man committing suicide in the parking lot of a school. This was a school that had closed six months earlier, and they're calling that a school shooting. The school isn't even open, hasn't been open for half a year, and a guy kills himself in a car or you know in a parking lot. That's not a school shooting except in the most uh, trivial sense or – then we have, uh, let's see, I, oh, I like this one. Uh, somebody just sh- shoots a gun in the air, you know, in the <laughs> in the parking lot. There's nobody there. Or, um, yeah, student fired into the air outside school after argument in school, no injuries. Uh, unknown person fired shots at students standing in parking lot. Student committed suicide in bathroom. Okay, that's very tragic. Not really a school shooting in the way we're meant to understand it. Student unintentionally fires a bullet from gun legally possessed by an instructor and struck a wall. No injuries. And and generally all these say no injuries, no injuries, no injuries. And these are school shootings. School shootings, you think of kids panicked hiding under desks. And that's not what this is. Now, when I raised this on Twitter, I was lectured, oh, how can you nitpick these statistics at a time like this? All right, so look, if things are as bad as you say, what's the need to exaggerate them then? Why don't you just, why don't you make it so airtight that I can't nitpick it? Why is it that you just can't help yourselves? You have to lie. You can't stop yourselves for some reason. Yeah. I love using things like this when I'm talking to people face to face to just bring it up and show them to just try to get people out of that political mindset. I see one of my goals is to just get people to abandon the political process or if not to abandon it, just to question every single thing. And if this isn't one of those things where you can just sit down and show somebody and say, look, this is what they tried to use to put fear into every I mean, anyone who has a child in a school and every child in a school, this is meant to put fear into their hearts and to if people can't see that. If they're beyond seeing that, I mean, really, I think we're beyond yeah, we're beyond help as a society, and you know, we really need to start splitting this thing up or something. You know? Folks, let's talk for a minute about Black Friday. You know I love Indochino, which is North America's leading made-to-measure menswear company. And what I love about them is that up till very recently, if somebody had suggested that you should go out and get a made-to-measure suit, you would have thought, what am I, the king of Siam? Of course I can't get something like that. That's impossible. But today, thanks to Indochino, there's no longer any excuse for wearing an ill-fitting suit because now a made-to-measure suit is within the reach of everyone. Indochino makes suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. And I can tell you from personal experience that the process of ordering is so 
easy. And November is Black Friday season, meaning 2018's lowest prices, up to 70% off everything. Well, this week, my listeners can avail themselves of Black Friday pricing by using code WOODS at checkout. That's 70% off the regular price for a made-to-measure suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code WOODS for up to 70% off. That's an incredible deal for a made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go rack. Pete, do you um, have any insight on this idea that the left can't meme? You hear that all the time. You, you see somebody post some horrible, totally not funny meme from a leftist, and it's accompanied by the left can't meme. Why do you think that is? Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, funny you should ask that, Tom. That's a whole sec. After all the serious commentary I put in this, I thought I would have some fun. And, um, you know, one of the arguments I made is that when you talk to leftists on social media, you start realizing that these they're not very educated. It's very rare that you meet somebody on social media or talk to somebody on social media who is advocating for the left or especially advocating for, you know, there's so many college kids advocating for straight up either socialism or communism. Once you start pressing them on it, you start realizing they just, they're not very educated on their opinion. It's pretty much all feelings and everything. So, you know, when they try to meme, they have that problem where they're really not that smart. Also, truth to me is very simple. Most memes, you can get away with one sentence or two to make your point. And those are usually the most clever and the most hard hitting. But if you look at a lot of leftist memes, it's like reading some of the notes I made in this book where I'm I'm struggling right now with my eyesight. But they'll, what they'll do is they'll just take a picture of something normally that we use as a meme and they'll be like 15 sentences. And it's like, if you have to explain your, if it takes you 15 lines, this, this, swarm of words to make your point or to try and destroy my point, you're not doing it right. It's uh, it's a little too much. And also, another thing about memes is it's very hard to meme against someone like myself, someone who considers himself to be a radical individual, because most memes, when they land, they're landing against a group. So if a meme's going to hit me, it's going to have to be something that's very pointed at me very individually or, you know, just something basic in our, you know, in our ideology and the ideology of volunteerism uh, or anarcho-capitalism. So I find it very easy to meme against the left because they're so collectivist in their ideology. They're so they repeat the same line over and over again. Not like we don't like no one ever says taxation is theft on our side, but um, they try to stay in line or else um, we've seen this on social media where if someone on the left steps out of line, even just a little bit, they eat their own. So it's, it's actually rather easy to meme against the left, but it's actually a lot harder to meme against people like us because half the time someone throws an objection at me or an insult at me it really doesn't land because they have really no idea what I believe and what I believe, you know, most of the time is so individualistic that um, they're, they're just really grasping at straws. I think also on a very basic level, it's humorlessness. And I don't find these people when they're talking about issues that I can joke about. I can joke about almost anything. We can at least make a joke just for fun. Whereas they feel like if someone tells a joke about a certain topic – 
we're dehumanizing and erasing a whole class of people. It's just ridiculous. They can't ever lighten up. And so if you can't lighten up, you're not going to write a funny meme. Which is really funny because, you know, some of the funniest comedians and comedic actors all come from the left. So it's like, how do they, once they abandon, I guess, once they stop telling airline jokes, as soon as they try to get into politics, it's, um, Dave Smith was talking about this on, I think it was actually on the Legion of Skanks podcast. They were, they were examining some leftist woman who put out this just awful, awful Netflix special. And I think Malice was actually guesting on that podcast. And he said, she's not going for jokes. She's going for applause. She doesn't want laughs. She wants applause. And when I think of a comedian, a stand-up comedian, I think of someone, I just want a belly laugh. I want to laugh. I want to forget about my problems. But a lot of times they're, they, they've gotten into this thing where everything is about social justice. And instead of going for jokes, they, they want people to go, oh, yes, you're so brave. You're so brave. And you're, you know, with this applause and everything. And it's just they really have lost their humor if they ever had any. Yeah, no kidding. Well, speaking of that, uh, Mance Raider, back when you were Mance Raider, was slated to speak at the University of North Georgia. Was this going to be under Mance Raider? Yeah, it was actually going to be under Mance Raider. Okay. I was Because uh, this was back, this was a year ago. It was actually, I think it was a year ago today. Ah, that, okay. That I was, yeah, that I was supposed to speak there. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, talk to us about uh, the super-duper pro-humor, fun-loving people who uh, you dealt with over there. Well, this is... I was scheduled to speak at something that is actually was supposed to be sort of a tradition. An older institution has been going on for about 20 years called the Politically Incorrect Club. And basically, they would invite people to come in and speak their minds, and they didn't really care if they were politically incorrect. Well, I got lined up, and I was going to go in, and I was going to do a... Um, Basically, I have like a, a 30 minutes that I can always do on modern policing and you know, how I believe it's immoral and how I explain it's immoral for a, a class of citizens to have rights that we don't have. And you know, I was going to make it funny, but I was also going to be very provocative. And this politically incorrect club at the University of North Georgia, they were welcoming me with open arms. But I think from what I understand from the person who set this up, that they had invited another club to co-sponsor. And I believe that someone from that other club decided to go on my Twitter feed and contacted the head of the politically incorrect club and said, we're not going to co-sponsor. So they basically went on my Twitter feed. It was right around the time, you remember in New York when the... Uh, I guess a, a Middle Eastern man had rented a truck and mowed some people down. Uh, this was yeah, like four, yeah. 14 months ago. Yeah. yeah. And a bunch of us started making memes about, um, you know, how we needed to ban fully automatic transmission trucks, you know, basically making fun of anti-gun people. Yeah. So I threw some of those up. There was one where there was a picture on a projector on like a screen at, at an event where somebody had put up a picture of JFK and the screen had like multiple screens on it and it made it look like with the multiple screens, the lines in between them, like there was crosshairs on the back of his head. 
And, you know, I, I had put on I had put the text on there that um, when you don't really think out your screen design properly or something like that about how this was an awful coincidence or something like that. And they just took it as me attacking and me making fun of people dying. And they decided to uninvite me. And they said, uh, like the last paragraph of the letter, the email they sent me was. Because the Politically Incorrect Club has worked so hard for 18 years to bring top quality educational events to our campus, winning 14 awards in the process, including two for being the school's best club, the decision was made to not risk seriously damaging the club's reputation. Our university is a mature and serious educational institution, and the club does not believe the aforementioned tweets are consistent with that mission. Well, the person who invited me about a week after I got this email, decided to send out like copies of the newsletter, the, the school's newsletter to me. And apparently this school had started getting very social justice-y. Uh, there was a bunch of articles in there. There was an article about intersectional feminism. And, you know, so, yeah, I really wasn't, um, I, I really wasn't surprised, but I used this opportunity to write in the last chapter of the book that, the way that we have to defeat this this encroachment against free speech is to be as politically incorrect as possible and to just mock them. And that's what I do online. I have people come after me all the time and they'll be like, um, oh, you realize what you just quoted I saw on Stormfront. You're quoting something that I saw somebody quote on Stormfront. <laughs> and I'm like, so what? You know, and I mean, I've gotten to the point where if they get bad enough, I will just... I will throw expletives their way and tell them I'm not going to, I'm not apologizing. I am not backing down GFY, you know, just get away from me. Cause you're not getting me. You're not going to turn me into one of those people that I see on Twitter who automatically, uh, you know, th their default position is to apologize to these people. And then they just get piled upon and they get destroyed. Yeah, they yeah. get destroyed. Not I'm happening. Not, yeah. That's no, I'm no, 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 not. Yeah. Now, that's one, I guess it's so one thing I could say about I'm happy about growing up in the Bronx is I've been in enough fistfights and been punched in the face enough to, um, you know, be tough enough to take that. I, I think I said in this book that I think one of the problems with people with a lot of the kids today is that they've never been punched in the mouth. If you grow up getting a fight, you can you have a tendency to be a, a little bit tougher than some of these. You know, I mean, they've actually taken to calling themselves snowflakes now, you know, ironically. So. I don't know what else to call them except just dangerous at this point. I sent out an email last week on what's happening in Britain with the philosopher Roger Scruton. Now, Scruton is on the right wing, and he's not a pro-market guy. We know what some of these folks are like. But he's not a terrible human being, and he's very smart. And he's under all kinds of attack because I guess they appointed him – to head some small commission. It's an unpaid position. It's you know, of almost no significance. It's more of an honorary thing than anything else because he's written over 40 books and, as I say, he's very accomplished and he's Sir Roger Scruton and all that. And they're going after him because after probably millions of words he's written, they basically found like four sentences scattered throughout his career that they dislike. And he's just saying, look, Screw you, people. You know, you're obviously distorting what I'm saying. I have millions of words disproving your interpretation, so knock it off. But what I like about it was somebody in the Spectator in the UK said they used the term 
online metal detectorists. That's what his opponents are. They're online metal detectorists searching through his entire corpus of work to find a few sentences they can pretend to be offended by and then point and shout, look, a heretic, you know, burn him. And Scruton just won't, he won't play the role they want him to play, which is to go out in sackcloth and ashes and be all apologetic. I'm telling you, society, there's a lot of people who would rally to somebody who just would have the guts to say, I'm not doing it. I'm constantly shocked at how few people are willing to take that stance. Yeah, I admire Jordan Peterson for the stand he took. I mean, I don't agree with everything anyone says, but um, um, I, I like a lot of what he has to say. But I mean, the stand he took, and when you go back and you look at those videos of him being on talk shows and just being like, no, nope, 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 you're gonna have to put me in jail. Nope, nope, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. And th that's that's what you have to do. You have to stand up to it. I mean, the way I look at it, it's people are scared to stand up to these people. It's not like they're gonna throw you in jail. It's not like standing up to the government. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not like telling a, a police officer, no, just stand up to these people. I mean, and how many of these people who are backing down online if, if they take a hit to their reputation online, what's going to happen? You know, it's like, I mean, I can understand if you're part of their, if you're part of their crew, if you're some intersectional feminist blogger who's, you know, who's relying on clicks for, you know, for part of her paycheck or something like that. But why is anybody backing down to these people? Why is anybody on a college campus backing down to these people? I mean, why is anybody on a college campus nowadays? I just don't, I mean, I understand that there are some things you have to go to, you have to go to college for, you know, but that's one of the things I just do not understand at all anymore is why people are subjecting themselves or subjecting their kids to this. I mean, I know, um, I know I've talked, I talked to a fellow libertarian who has a podcast and he told me, he said, if his kids decided to go to college, he would not pay for it. He said he would not support them in any way, shape or form. He says he will pay for their trade school. He will pay for them to, to get something like that. He said, but you cannot give legitimacy to these these institutions anymore because they're just most of them are just flat out evil. And they're and they will if you go there with any kind of deviation from their their religion, you know, this religion of radical progressivism, whatever they want to call it. I mean, they're going to try and destroy you. So why even bother? I mean, you can. God, you you can learn to code. I mean, coding is the future. You know, the internet is the future. Why would you subject yourself to that or your kids to that? I mean, it just it it boggles the mind to me right now. Um, you know, maybe I'm just too old and not you know set in my ways and you know not looking to go back to school. But um, an 18 year old mind. I mean, my mind could handle it, but an 18 year old mind going in there. I mean, if that kid hasn't been raised in the kind of household that, you know, someone like uh, Roger Paxton, you know, the way he's bringing up his kids and, you know, with libertarianism and volunteerism, and I don't know what, what these kids are getting subjected to nowadays. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, let me ask you before we wrap up here, a more meta question. You have a podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall, and people can find it, of course, in the usual places. Also, we have a website, freemanbeyondthewall.com. And you came onto my radar just all of a sudden. And very quickly, I heard people speaking of you as one of their favorite podcasters, and your show is one of their favorite shows, just like that. And there are a lot of libertarian podcasts that are strewn about the information superhighway as so much roadkill. So I'm curious if you have any 
insights about that? I have people on my podcast. I love to do interviews. I have people on my podcast that I want to talk to. The people that I'm interested in talking to, and I want to ask them questions that I'm interested in. Um, and most of the time, like the Gene Epstein debate that he had um, in, in New York recently at the Soho Forum. I started listening to it, and I barely got past the part in the beginning where he said that his mom was a card-carrying communist and he grew up as a leftist and he was part of the new left. Pretty much after he said that, all I wanted to do was talk to him about that. So I got in touch with him, and that's what we talked about. I, I said, okay, what was it like? You know, tell me about your mom. Talk about, you know, talk about that. Okay, now talk about your teenage years. And he talked about that. And you know, we went for over an hour. And finally, you know, we we finished it out with, you know, how did you how did you cross over into libertarianism? Things like that. I mean, I've had I've had people on my podcast who are to the left of Bernie, who consider themselves and will tell you they're to the left of Bernie Sanders. And I want I had Norman Solomon on and Norman Solomon is an old school leftist. He went to his first anti-war protest in 1967 in New York. And I wanted to talk to him about what happened to the anti-war left, not the anti-war left, you know, politicians. I mean, there's very few of those and there have always been very few of those, but the people on the ground. And I had him on and people were just like, wow, that's an amazing interview. That's just, you know, it, it was so you know, it, it was so insightful. And that's what I just want to do. I don't want to stick to, you know, I've had you on, I've had Bob Murphy on, you know, to talk straight economics. Um, and those are great. But I also want to do off the wall stuff because that's where my mind goes. I mean, I just, I'm going to be releasing a podcast later today that's going to be on the history of the opium trade in the United States. And after I did a podcast with Dr. Mark Thornton from Mises, who you know very well, and we both saw him do a speech at Mises Institute uh, during the Supporters Summit where he talked about the opioid crisis. I had him on. We talked about that. But then I found out that there was somebody else who had actually studied that a lot of the most famous families um, in the country had very early on many um, contacts in China where they brought opium through the United States and brought it to England. So I wanted to talk to th this gentleman, had amazing knowledge about that. And I, that's a podcast I'm going to release later today. I just, I don't know. I just, I want to talk about libertarian things. I want to talk about anarchist things. I want to talk about voluntarist things. But every once in a while, I just want to talk about stuff that interests me. And Fortunately, it seems like a heck of a lot of people are very interested in the things that I'm talking about. And it also it also helps to have Scott Horton on every once in a while because um, who doesn't love Scott Horton? So, Yeah, indeed. Who, who indeed doesn't love Scott Horton? Well, that's great. And that does seem like a winning formula. It's worked for you. So the podcast, let's see, I want to make sure I get everything right here. The podcast is Free Man Beyond the Wall. You can check it out at freemanbeyondthewall.com. And also listen to it just by looking it up on whatever podcast thing you're using right now. Yeah, exactly. You can just uh, head on over there and look it up. But also, don't forget the book that we've been talking about today. And the book is The Kids Are Not All Right, A Meme-Enhanced Primer on Encroaching Marxism in the West by Mance Rader, who is now our friend Pete Raymond. Thanks so much for your time, so-called Pete Tom, I always appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for the advice you gave me when we talked at Mises. Uh, really took it to heart.
All right, folks, before I let you go, I sometimes get questions, of course, about history or economics, but I also get questions about podcasting or blogging or just that sort of stuff that I also do. And so I try to answer those questions also. But lately, I've also been getting questions from people about how to create their own courses, because obviously, you know, I have a little experience in that area with the Ron Paul curriculum stuff and Liberty Classroom. I've created a lot of courses, so I know how to do it. I know how to market them, how to make sales on them and stuff like that. So I've got for you a free report on how it's done. And then I also have a free video series that walks you through it. This video training is in bite-sized chunks and takes you through every step, particularly if you want to market your course on one of these platforms like Udemy or even Skillshare. I mean, you know, I, I actually have Skillshare as a sponsor, but you can also make money selling courses through Skillshare. So, and then the interesting thing about Skillshare is that you can actually make really, really micro courses on Skillshare. You can create a course on Skillshare that the entire course lasts only 10 minutes. So it can be some super specific skill that you're teaching. So it really becomes possible for almost anybody to create an online course using one of these platforms. Now, I don't get any money from Udemy or Skillshare for saying this, but those are the big, big teaching platforms. So if you don't want to create your own website and host the courses there, and if you want to use an existing platform so you don't have to reinvent the wheel, then those are two places to do it. And so I have some video training showing you exactly how to make the course, how to put it on these sites, how to get it out there so people find out about it. So if that's something you've been thinking about trying, it really is a great way to get started trying to do something online that's entrepreneurial, is create a course. So I've got, as I say, some free resources for you, and you can find them at tomwoods.com slash courses, all one word, tomwoods.com slash courses. So I hope you enjoy that material, and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.